Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us, Adarsh Mashri, our host, Tom Dupree. And we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. You know, this uh, <coughs> song makes me think of a, a poem I read uh, written by Sir Walter Raleigh just recently. Uh, it, it's in his uh, metrical translations. And I'll just read it. The heaven and earth and all the liquid main, the moon's bright globe and stars titanian, a spirit within maintains, and their whole mass, a mind, which through each part infused doth pass, fashions and works, and holy doth transpierce all this great body of the universe. Then he says, the world discerns itself while I the world behold. By me, the longest years and other times are told. I, the world's I, E-Y-E. And the music that brought us in is by a group called Home Free, Free. which we've played before. And all of everything is, all the sound is made by their voices. There are no instruments. That's right. It's magnificent. Just a little note about Sir Walter Raleigh. He was an English statesman, soldier, writer, and explorer. One of the most notable figures of the Elizabethan era, he played a leading part in the English colonization of North America, suppressed rebellion in Ireland, helped defend England against the Spanish Armada, which, of course, was the turning point uh, when Spain was defeated uh, for English uh, 
power uh, on the, the, the on the seas. And he held political positions under Elizabeth I. He kind of followed hard right after Columbus in the uh, exploration of the New World. So <clears throat> one of the things that I enjoy about the investment uh, business is that it, it causes you to examine the world. You, you have to be aware of what's taking place in the world. You have to study it. You have to try to appreciate it as as much as you can. You have to keep an open mind. You have to be uh, inquisitive. Uh, be willing to uh, subject yourself to opinions and ideas that might con- come in conflict with your own ideas. You have to be willing to be um, corrected when you are doing something wrong and you have to have the courage uh, to maintain your convictions when you're doing something right. So, um, you know, that's been my experience in this business and Adarsh, I, you know, I'm sure you feel similarly because I've gotten to know you over several years and I know kind of how you think. Right. No, that's really exactly how I feel. And uh, I think one of the reasons why I really enjoy, uh, you know, doing this is because, um, you know, the markets, they're always different. They're always changing. They're always, you know, there's always something new happening. Um, So I feel like it's not just when you study the markets, you don't just study the market or the economy, but it's also a study of self because you're constantly, you know, dealing with your own emotions, your ideas. Uh, so it, it's all, almost a journey of self-exploration when you're studying the markets. Yeah, it, uh, it's also a little, it's like playing a game. It's not really a game, it, it, but it, it, it is a game in some ways. And unlike uh, sports games that uh, involve athletic competition, uh, you uh, actually have the ability to improve and get better at it as you age. Many, many sports uh, games you might play, you know, once you get in your 40s, um, you're going to start to tail off pretty rapidly and uh, unless it's maybe golf or something. And even that when people get a lot older. But but you look at a guy like Warren Buffett uh, in his 90s now, still making investment decisions. Uh, and, he, you know, the, the thing you need to understand is that uh, trading, and that's just the daily activity of buying and selling, trying to make quick profits, that's, that's a little more like an athletic undertaking, and it, it, it favors – the young, but the problem with the young is that they don't have any wisdom. So Buffett, rather than making investment decisions where he's immediately got to be right, um, he makes investment decisions that give him a, a, a more more of a lead time to where he can be right over a long period of time. And his his picks have gotten bigger, broader, in some cases uh, way out of his – uh, field of expertise, as in the case of Apple, 
They now own over a hundred, well, around one hundred and fifty billion dollars worth of Apple at uh, at uh, 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 Berkshire. But the the point is, investing uh, can be improved upon. You can get better if you if you look at your mistakes and learn from them, and then you know eliminate them the next time you're up to bat, so to speak. Right. Yeah, in fact, just this morning, uh, I was watching an interview of uh, Warren Buffett. He just came out with a new interview with uh, Charlie Rose. Uh, and I remember he'd done an interview with him right during the financial crisis. So uh, it, it's definitely worth watching. Uh, but, you know, Buffett is a great example of a person who has not just been doing this for a very long period of time, but who has also changed uh, his perspective and improved uh, how he does things. You know, if you go back to how he started, uh, he was talking about his first investment, which was a preferred stock in a company called City Services. Um, and, well, it probably uh, was, was an oil company. I guess that would have been an oil company. Yes, and he said that back then it was like the fourth largest, uh, one of the biggest companies in America and one of the most traded uh, stocks and preferred stocks in America. Uh, so, um, but back then when he first started, he was just trying to make a, you know, a few, it looked like the, the preferred stock had dropped and, uh, he was speculating that it would just go up by a few percentage points. And that was how he started. And then he, uh, came across, uh, Ben Graham, uh, in his late teens and that kind of changed the way he viewed things. So he went from being a trader to more of, uh, you know, uh, doing analysis and trying to understand what a business is worth and then trying to buy businesses uh, at a discount to what he thought they were worth. And then fast forward a few decades, uh, he meets uh, Charlie Munger and then he realizes that, you know, there's more value to a business than what you think its value is at present. You know, a business could be worth a lot more 20 years down the road. So that's when he went from buying good businesses or fair businesses at cheap prices to buying great businesses at fair prices where valuation was still a factor, but he was also willing to let that business keep growing and let the valuation keep growing over time. Right. And the, then the, more the recently, most, probably the most notable of those when he began to change his way of doing things would have been Coca-Cola, I guess. Yes, exactly. Coca-Cola. And then he started buying companies like American Express, um, and more recently, uh, you know, he bought Apple, which is also, you know, very, uh, instructive where for years he stayed away from what you would call tech stocks, but Apple, I guess is more of a consumer stock. And after all these years, he, uh, was willing to again, change the way he viewed things. And, uh, even though it was a business, which he may not have initially understood, I think he understood the value of the brand, the value of the recurring cash flows of that business. And, uh, you know, he bought Apple and I guess it's been six, seven years now. And Apple today is his largest investment and one of his best investments. So it's a study of how a person, you know, has been doing this for 80 years. He said he bought his first uh, preferred stock at the age of 11 and today is 91. <laughs> you know, over the years. <laughs> wow. 80 years. He's been doing it for 80 <laughs> years. That's incredible. Yes. 
and he says he still loves it. He still tap dances to work as, you know, one of the, uh, one of the, the books that someone wrote about him is called where he still enjoys going to work and still loves doing what he does. Right. So if you look at investing, uh, I think people that do this for a long period of time develop what I would call core areas of competency where there are certain parts of there are certain businesses and and types of businesses that they begin to gain a bit of a competency in. Uh, I would have to argue that the greatest uh, area of competency for Warren Buffett, and and it doesn't necessarily mean the size of the investment because Apple dwarfs every other investment he's ever made, but it's more the the way the uh, investment functions would have to be financials. Uh, you know, if you look at, at Berkshire, it is a fin- it it really is categorized as a financial because it's an insurance company. It's not a tech company. It's not a railroad company. It's not a utility company. It's not a candy company. It's not any of those things. They own stakes or, in some cases, the entire amount of stock in those companies, but it's really an insurance company, which makes it fall squarely in the category of financials, along with banking, REITs, other insurance companies, uh, asset managers, Warren Buffett is at his heart a financial guy. He is, yes. Uh, and as you said, that's his competence. He understands it. You know, he understands the recurring nature of some of these businesses because technology can be very tricky. You know, it's constantly getting, uh, I guess, usurped by other forms of technology. Whereas uh, your basic insurance, Banking, those are things that people need uh, all the time. And uh, so I, I think he gets it. He understands that these businesses are here to stay for the long run and uh, their cash flows are more predictable than some of the other businesses out there. Right. And if you can have a business that has predictable cash flow, that is recurring revenues. They're going to have revenues today. They did have them a year ago. They'll have those same revenues, perhaps even larger in another year, another five years, 10 years. If you have recognizable recurring revenues, then the business can be valued based upon essentially an annuity kind of approach uh, with the assumption that over several years you'll get dividends or returns in terms of the stock price uh, based on those recurring revenues. Right, absolutely. And it's also important to remember, you know, we when we think of Warren Buffett, we think of all his successes you know, his big investments in whether it be Coca-Cola or American Express or Apple. But he's made plenty of investments that haven't worked out along the way. Uh, But what's uh, the lesson there is that 
you don't have to be right all the time when you're making your investments. You need to make a few good investments and have the conviction to hold them over a long period of time. And your few good investments will more than, uh, you know, make up for any losses that you have from investments that don't work out because, you know, any investment that you make, if it doesn't work out, it'll go to zero. But you make a good investment, the potential returns are manifold. Correct. Um, so we're going to get into, you know, kind of the kind of year we've had in the markets. Uh, it's been a disappointing year for both stock and bond investors as the, uh, as the Federal Reserve has uh, been raising interest rates in order to deal with inflation. Uh, so we've had negative returns in both of those markets, yet in many ways uh, the, the action of the Fed has probably created uh, some bargains in both bond and stock markets by uh, sort of clearing out some of the uh, overvaluation and things. Right. So if you go back to the beginning of the year, really the markets peaked at the very end of December, early January, depending on whether you look at the S&P or the Dow Jones or the NASDAQ. And uh, this entire year has been a down year. So the S&P, which is, uh, you know, a broad, the, the broadest index, uh, broadest of the big indexes, uh, it, uh, at its lows, it was down <clears throat> close to 27% from its peak in January. The NASDAQ uh, dropped even more in uh, mid-30s. And we know many individual stocks, uh, especially uh, tech stocks, some of them have dropped 60, 70, 80%. Not just your small, uh, you know, new companies that went public recently, but companies like Meta, which used to be Facebook, Tesla here recently uh, is down 70%. Uh, Amazon is down uh, 65%, I believe. Uh, and um, of course, Apple has been one of, has held up pretty well, but it's also dropped over 30%. So we've seen these large mega companies uh, have, that have fallen even more than some of the, you know, indexes. So it's been a very brutal year for investors and, what made it even worse was that uh, interest rates have gone up during that period, which means that if you had a certain allocation to bonds, then even your bonds have dropped. Uh, the 10-year bottomed last year around 1.5556%, and today it's at 3.73%. Uh, so interest rates have also made a big move. The Fed has been raising rates along the way, short-term rates. Uh, so it's it's not been a very good year. In fact, I think since the financial crisis, this 2022 is the worst year that I remember in terms of how the market has performed and uh, uh, not just the stock market, but also the bond market. Uh, 2020 was bad, but it didn't last. We had that big drop in March of 2020 and then it recovered very quickly. Uh, but this year has been, you know, uh, it, it's just been a terrible year. Um, right. But it has, but you said on the, it has created some, perhaps some bargains. Yes, and, and that's, you know, that's the bright side of this. There's always a bright side in investing. Uh, usually periods like this, when you have big 
drawdowns in the market are periods uh, when uh, there are bargains and there are great businesses that go at start trading at discounts. Uh, and uh, we don't know, no one knows where the exact bottom is, but we do know that if it's a good business, a good company that's going to survive and do well over not just the next year, but the next decade, two decades, then periods like these end end up being good times to at least start buying slowly. It doesn't all have to be all at once. Uh, and hopefully investors will be rewarded uh, over the over the years. Right. Um, I would say, you know, we've kind of had a bias towards uh, things that produce dividends. We can get into that a little bit in the second half of the hour and talk a little bit about interest rates and, and, and basically what sort of, um, um, opportunities are presented. And also we'll touch on, uh, energy markets a little bit, oil, natural gas, and some of those things. You're listening to the Tom Dupree show with the Darsh Mashru. If you'd like to have an in-person visit or still, we're still doing zoom calls To hear about the opportunities that we are seeing, give us a call at 859-233-0400. We'd love for you to have a second set of eyes on your portfolio and hear what we're thinking, hear about what we're thinking. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more of the Tom Dupree Show in just a few minutes. I see the stars. I see the stars. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us, Adarsh Mashur, our host, Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group on this Christmas Eve. So, Adarsh. Um, this is home free again. Yeah, it's good. The, um, the thing that is sort of the central theme of, of, of this year, and, and it's 
kind of affected everything else is the value of the dollar in the in the face of an inflationary environment. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the third hour, some, some ideas. I'm going to play a little bit uh, from Milton Friedman, the economist from the University of Chicago who who was so articulate about inflation and its causes uh, back in the 70s. But anyway, uh, in the face of an inflationary um, situation, meaning that the dollar is losing value, and there, people think, well, prices are going up. Uh, no, that's not really what's happening. It's the purchasing price of the dollar. is it, The purchasing value of the dollar is going down. So... Naturally, the, the, the thing that you would uh, think would not be good in that environment are bonds, which are fixed income uh, securities. But there comes a point at which perhaps they are a good deal because if inflation itself begins to be reined in, um, then and you begin to see that, you know, maybe it'll begin to come down. Um, and certainly we've seen that in in some areas. Uh, oil has retreated from a high of $122, I think, uh, to uh, about $77 a barrel. We're, we're seeing uh, gasoline prices coming down. Housing, which is a huge part of the economy, has begun to soften. Uh, and I think we're beginning to see prices flatten out. So then the question becomes... When is there a good point to, to buy into things that pay uh, uh, fixed income, given that their prices have declined, therefore their yields have gone up? So the bottom line is what's a good time to buy things like that? Also, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about energy. And, you know, people often say, well, uh, the price of oil is just a, a product of inflation. Yeah, it is in some ways, but in other ways, it's definitely driven by supply and demand. Uh, Short-term as well as long-term factors play into that. But initially, I wanted to just talk a little bit about interest rates, um, fixed income. So, Adarsh, give me some of your ideas. Yeah, so if you, again, if you go back to... uh the end of last year, early this year, uh, the consensus amongst the, I guess, the market, the financial community was that, you know, we were seeing inflation uh, go up post uh, COVID and post the reopening of the market and the economy, uh, but it was going to be temporary. And then all of a sudden, uh, there was a realization that perhaps, you know, this was not as temporary as was assumed because I think really they everything's used, that I, good. I think they used the word transitory. Yes, transitory. Uh, and the Fed kept saying that, that this is transitory. But they were hoping that, you know, in a few months, uh, a few months after these higher inflation readings, inflation figures would start coming down, which they did not. And at that point, they changed their tune and they said, okay, they removed the word transitory from their language and they said that, you know, inflation is above 
what we are comfortable with and we are going to start tackling this. So that's when they started raising rates, short-term rates, the Fed funds rate, uh, rapidly. So short-term rates basically went from, you know, close to zero last year to today they are uh, over 4%. The band is 425 to 5%, uh, 4.5%. So rapid rise in short-term interest rates. And at the same time, we saw a rise in uh, long-term interest rates also. So the 10-year went from about 1.56 at the end of last year. And it peaked uh, at close to 4.45% uh, a few months ago. I think it, I think it, it, it got, I think it intraday got to 4.49. Yeah. Yeah, it may have, yes. Almost 4.5% intraday. So we saw that big uh, move in both short-term and long-term rates. And since uh, October, we've seen uh, long-term rates have started to decline. So the 10-year bond today is 3.74%. It went all the way down to 3.4% uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, and here recently, it's ticked up again. But the, the long-term bond, you know, uh, is priced according to long-term inflation expectations and long-term economic expectations. So now the market, the bond market is pricing in a slowdown in the economy, given, you know, how aggressive the Fed has been and given how, you know, sentiment is turning. We know that the housing market is slowing down. The auto market is severely slowing down. Used car market is severely slowing down. And, you know, in the tech space, primarily, we've seen a lot of layoffs. Now, outside of that, not so much yet. But uh, there's also a sense that the uh, job market might be slowing down. One, one so, of the things uh, that you just said, um, you know, the housing and uh, those are big ticket items. Uh, cars, they uh, are are big household items. So if you're able to buy a house at a, at a lower price, it can have uh, a big effect on your pocketbook in, in terms of, of what it really costs. But at the same time, you know, mortgage rates are higher, so it's not going to be that much lower. Right, exactly, yes. So, you know, because of uh, mortgage rates having gone up as they did, I think the average mortgage went all the way close to 7% at its high. Um, and uh, it just made homes unaffordable. So people just stopped buying homes because uh, either home prices have to drop or interest rates have to drop if you're financing your home, which the majority of the people tend to do. So we've definitely seen a noticeable slowdown in the economy. Uh, inflation figures over the last three months have been uh pretty tame you know we're not seeing those high so for example the last inflation the cpi figure was 0.1 percent which is the rate at which inflation increased from the previous month so that was november's uh, that was november's yes. print and if you yes, annualize if you annualize that that's only a 1.2 percent annual inflation rate but People, the 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 financial press continues to misreport and say inflation increased seven point one percent in November. It's just not true. Yes, it's not true at all. So they they're looking at you know uh, an outdated uh, you know base 
what is more accurate is the inflation figures that we are seeing now. Uh, this morning, the PCE uh, figure came out, which is uh, 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 it's a figure that's similar to uh, the CPI, and that came at 0.1% too. Uh, personal consumption expenditure, that's the figure that the Fed looks at. Right. Uh, so even that was, uh, you know, pretty weak. So there, there are signs that inflation is slowing down, the economy is slowing down. Um, we know commodity prices have dropped. As you said, crude has dropped from over 120 to uh, 77, 78. And uh, other commo- lumber prices, big drop in lumber. Lumber is back to where it was in 2020. So those are that's a big input cost, you know, in homes and other goods. Another, um, um, I want to go back to what you said earlier about raising interest rates because there's, two kinds of interest rates at play here, one of which is the Fed's short-term interest rate, which is completely controlled by the Federal Reserve, which they say they're going to push higher. And it has continued to go up. So the average person will think, oh, okay, interest rates are going up. But the bond market is controlled not by the Fed, but by market forces. It already peaked back in September, October, when the 10-year, or it, it might have been even earlier than that. I, it might have been July or August. But the 10-year hit close to 450, the 10-year bond, government bond. It's, it's At this point, it's well under 4% now. It's around 365 to 7 to 3.7%. So... The bond market has already begun to lower interest rates despite what the Fed is trying to do on the short end. Right, yes. And, yeah, the thing to keep in mind is that a lot of purchases that people make are not based on the rate that the Fed sets the short-term interest rate. They're based, like your mortgages are based on longer-term interest rates. Uh a lot of commercial loans are also based on long-term interest rates. Short-term interest rates impact certain things like, you know, your credit card rates, which are tied to prime rates and so forth. Uh, but uh, long-term interest rates, which is completely dictated by the market, is, is saying that, okay, inflation is slowing down. There might be a slowdown in economic growth. Uh, so bonds, long-term bonds have actually been a pretty good place to be in. Um, during the last few months. And your question initially was, when is a good time to buy these long-term bonds? Uh, it's usually when, you know, uh, the market starts pricing in an economic slowdown. Um, and seems like we are already at that point. Right. Um, let's, let's, and on the flip side, go ahead. once the economy is you know, slowed down, significantly slowed down, and the new recovery cycle is beginning, that's the time to get out of them. Right. So let's talk briefly about uh, oil and energy prices because uh, this is an area that is certainly affected by uh, consumption, that is people driving cars, heating buildings, flying airplanes, uh, and ships, shipping, 
anything that requires energy, plus the uh, inputs for certain chemicals, um, you know, fertilizer, uh, p- uh, petrochemicals, things of that nature, all of which require um, either oil or, or natural gas inputs. Um, given that, that, that those are always going to be consistent users of natural gas the product uh, and oil, the production of energy is, is a worldwide thing affected very much by uh, geopolitical circumstances. Russia uh, incurring into Ukraine has affected the oil markets. Of course, the Saudis uh, and their um, attempt to really kind of control world oil supplies uh, the United States with the uh, shale boom and bust, and now it's beginning to boom again, but they're being much more disciplined in terms of their drilling. They're just, they're just not drilling like crazy. They're, they're trying to uh, impose uh, capital disciplines on their drilling activities if you look at the oil market, I mean, the, the one of the Saudi, Saudi uh, sheikhs or uh, higher-up ministers at Aramco, which is the largest oil company in the world, um, said that world oil supplies, while the prices are down, they are dangerously tight. And he says if anything happens anytime soon that could uh, be a shock to the system you could see oil prices spiral much higher right absolutely and i think if you just look at the price of oil in fact west texas crude is close to 80 today um despite all the rhetoric of the economy slowing down there being a recession you would think that oil prices would be a lot lower but they are not um the historical average adjusted for inflation is about $50 a barrel and oil is still trading above that. And last week it felt like it was going to go down in the sixties, but it reversed quickly. So I think the market's telling you that there is a supply issue. Right. Uh, especially, you know, I think what is going on in China is also playing a big role where if China reopens, uh, which seems like they're trying to, then their demand for crude oil will also increase significantly. And in that case, you know, we might see oil, uh, you know, start going up again because supply is tight. Not making a prediction here, but I think those are all factors that come into play. And just looking at the current price, we know that given how bad it seems that the state of the economy seems to be or seems to be getting to as projected to go, uh, oil prices are still relatively high. Right. Looks like the last print... Uh, for West Texas Intermediate crude is uh, almost eighty dollars a barrel, seventy nine eighty four. Right. See, it was at seventy five bucks just three or four days ago. So it's popped, you know, five six percent off that low. The, the thing that you have to understand is, you know, you can't sit around and look at daily moves in the oil market. You'll drive yourself nuts. What you have to look at, in my opinion, is the destruction that occurred in 2020 and in 2014 of production. So many people that were in the business were driven out of the business. So now 
oil and energy production is consolidated in much fewer hands. Those people are all going to be very disciplined about drilling wells. So in a sense, the in the industry is going to impose those uh, controls upon itself. And I think that's going to serve to keep the price of oil higher. Right. No, uh, completely agree. Yes. And at the end of the day, the oil companies uh, in the U.S., they're not controlled by the government. They exist for the sake of, uh, you know, their investors. They don't really have, I mean, not that they are not socially responsible, but their primary, primary goal, you know, they're in the business of producing oil and producing oil at a profit. So why would they want to self-destruct? And exactly. Produce? Yes. Um, Unlike, you know, a government-controlled oil company, whether it be in the Middle East or in South America. Uh, so these companies are acting prudently. They're acting like any rational business would. Uh, they are trying to optimize, uh, you know, their uh, production levels. They're trying to have a strong balance sheet where if there is a downturn, then, you know, they're not caught off guard. So they're doing all the right things. And as you said, there are very few players that have survived since what happened in 2014 and what happened in 2020. There was a massive bear market in oil. And uh, now they're just the strongest have survived and they're trying to, uh, you know, do what is best for themselves. The other thing you have said, and, and you have been spot on in this for years, that commodities and oil is a commodity go in long cycles. They, they, they go through a long uh, boom cycle. They'll go through a longer bus cycle or a long bus cycle where prices tend to trend down. And, and we sort of went through that uh, bus cycle uh, for, for a number of years, and it, it looks like since 2020, it's, it's coming back into a boom cycle. We don't know how high it'll take oil prices. But at Dupree Financial Group, we do have exposure to that, and we sort of believe that they're going to be positioned to do well over the next several years. Right. Yeah, if you go back, uh, if you put it in perspective, oil prices peaked in 2008, right before the financial crisis, when a barrel of West Texas traded as high as 147 uh, intraday. And 12 years from then, oil prices kept dropping, and Finally, uh, in I guess it was May of 2020 when it went to negative. Uh, yeah, it wasn't or even it, zero. It, it wasn't you include it, the cost of storage. It wasn't such a good inflation hedge, was it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right, right. So we are still at the early stages. You know, there's a lot of destruction that happens when oil prices go into such a long uh, are in such a long bear market. So, and when you from the point of view of its uh, representation in the S&P 500, at its lows, uh, oil and gas was less than 3% of the S&P 500, a very, very small percentage. And, you know, uh, if it goes back to its historical average, then you could see oil companies, you know, do well for, for the next few years. All right, that's a wrap for this hour. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mashru. Go to our website, dupreefinancial.com. We've got some good articles for reading over the holidays, as well as the radio show. If you want to listen to more episodes of the Tom Dupree Show, you can also schedule an appointment with us from the chat tab on the homepage of the website. 
We'll be back with the next hour in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. <laughs> 